0: The CEO of Modal, Eric Bernhardson, is a super well-regarded former CTO. In this conversation, we spoke about his best practices for driving developer productivity, a topic that he has thought a great deal about, as you will soon see. We covered what is the secret to developer productivity? What are the common mistakes that CTOs make? How did the best practices change over the course of a startup's life? How did these best practices inform the way he developed Modal to enhance the productivity of data teams? It's always fun to host a leader who has thought so deeply about his beliefs. You'll find a host of frameworks in this conversation. You can listen to the audio version here, or else read the lightly edited transcript. Let's dive in. Eric, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today to talk about developer productivity. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much. So to start out, what is your background and what led you to start modal?
1: My my background is I've been coding for for a long time i think since, since the early 90s grew up in sweden and did a lot of programming competitions in high school uh, then after school i ended up joining this early stage startup as obscure company doing music streaming um which was called spotify uh still is so I, I was there for seven years uh, built a lot of different things mostly data related in particular i built a lot of the music recommendation system uh, then I left to end up with a different company. I was as a CTO called Better. I was over six years, built up the tech team. Uh, I was kind of a wild story in itself. And then, uh, last three years ago, four years ago, almost, and, um, or three years ago, I started building my own startup, which is Modal, which is a startup building basically like a data platform in the cloud for, for data teams to, to build mostly AI related applications, but also all kinds of other stuff.
0: Now, I know you have a lot of opinions about developer productivity. What would you say were the formative early experiences that shaped your views on how developers can be most productive?
1: I I think I've like shifted in both like positive and negative ways. Like I, I think part of it is like, you know, being at like high growth startups and like seeing a lot of the good stuff and a lot of the bad stuff. And like kind of being like frustrated, I think it's like shifted more than like, you know, seeing the good stuff, like being, you know, looking at other teams and seeing, like, why are they doing it this way? Like, I, I bet, you know, you can do it this other way and it'd be much faster. And then i started to think about, like, you know, like, I would love to, like, kind of figure... And that's actually what brought me into management eventually. Like, is, is I, I thought, I felt like, you know, looking at, you know, how teams are run and how they're building code and shipping products. And I felt like I had a lot of thoughts and a lot of theories about how to do it faster. And, and so I, I really started deeply thinking about it. Uh Eventually, like, you know, got this job as a CTO where I, like, I always felt like that was, like, my way of like experimenting and metting at a much larger scale with this. Uh, but obviously then as a CTO, I, I thought about it like constantly because that's like the job as a CTO, basically.
0: What is the secret to developer productivity if you had to say one thing?
1: If I had to distill it down to one thing, there's probably like a thousand things I could mention. But like if there's like one thing I've seen in practice that I think you can quantify in terms of is fast feedback loops. So like when I think about like developers, like how you write code, it's like basically like a series of like different feedback loops, right? Like you sort of write code, you get a syntax error, you fix it or whatever, like, and then a compilation or whatever. So that, there's like a sort of a second feedback loop there, like, you know, a minute maybe. And then it's like a larger feedback loop of like, okay, like let's actually make the tests work or let's, you know, you know actually let's implement the behavior correctly. You know, that that maybe takes like an hour or so. And then it's like a larger feedback loop of like, let's actually get this merge into production and like get this out in front of users or or, you know, or get feedback from my fellow, you know, my, my my peers on on the, on the pull request, uh, and and that that maybe like you know a few hours a day or so. And then it's like, oh, let's actually get out of production. Let's see what happens. Oh, there's a bug. Crap, I have to fix it. You know. But now we're talking like days, weeks, months, right? And so to me, a lot of like the, the developer productivity comes down to like how do you make those feedback look tighter? Like how do you take something that's like three days long and turn it into something that's like five hours? Then or how do you take something that's five hours and turn it into one hour? How do you think something that one hour take t- turn it into 20 minutes? Kind of calls me thinking about the sort of, sort of size of these feedback loops, I think.
0: That's so interesting. And as someone who obviously was not a developer previously, I can see how that same secret actually would be the secret to productivity of a lot of different roles, right? Like how quickly can you learn how to do your job better and get feedback from, you know, if you're a sales rep, get feedback from your manager, your customers, your marketing teams that you can evolve your messaging faster the way that you talk about the product it's a learning loop
1: uh, absolutely absolutely right and, and, and you know it's actually funny like you, you mentioned learning loop like if you look at like u.s military it, they have a call called like uga i forget what it stands for but it's like sort of same thing it's like you build this like feedback loops and you learn from like the enemy or whatever but but but, I, but and, and i think in general like this applies to like almost anything with like high uncertainty if you're doing something like you know over and over again like if you're like working in an assembly line like, I actually don't know if, like, you know, feedback loops matter that much. Like, you just have to, like, have high throughput. That's what care matters. But anything that, where there's, like, uncertainty, you're, like, operating in unknown terrain, or, like, you're trying to learn from users, or you're integrating with vendors, they have all these, like, undocumented features or whatever. Like, you just have to, like, embrace uncertainty and, like, build a process that sort of deals with the fact that you don't know. Like, you, you know, and you just have to learn along the way.
0: I love that. So how do you create fast learning loops at your company?
1: So a lot of it's like practical stuff. One of the things like I basically like I tell every company to do is continuous integration and continuous deployment, uh, which is a little bit scary. Like getting things like, like basically like what I like always argued for is like once you merge something into, into master or main, uh, it should go live in production, you know, within 20 to 30 minutes. Like, and, and having an absolute commitment to that is, I think, scary for a lot of companies, but, but I think, you know, these days a lot of startups. Have shown that you can effectively do that and and maintain a really high quality bar, and you know build a process that allows for you to do that in a way where like you actually like yes you will occasionally release bugs into production, but instead of like thinking about that as like an absolute thing you can never breach like instead building a process that captures those bugs very quickly and then once those bugs happen like build a process that internalizes and learns from those things and then extends you know the test suite to capture those things so next time it doesn't happen. So continuous deployment and, and continuous integration, like having a lot of like automated testing, I think is absolutely critical. That's probably the biggest thing.
0: Are there certain products that you recommend using as part of that?
1: GitHub Action is probably like fine for most teams. It's like the least bad product in my opinion. Like, I don't know. Like, I think all the like CICD products that I've tried have, like I've had issues with, like my like crazy idea is I was like, kind of want to build my own eventually. Just because like, I, I'm like, I have my pet peeves with all of them. Uh but but like yeah, I mean GitHub Actions like today is like kind of nice, I like, get integration with GitHub, so it's sort of nice in that sense and it worked like reasonably okay. Just having a commitment to like merging things quickly into production, like not sort of having like long-lived pull requests and and you know having things sitting behind feature flags or unreleased code, I think that's very important. Um I, I think you know, making sure that you have a uh more like a practical thing, but like having like a, a lot of parity between local and production environments so that you know when you're writing code locally, where like when you're building things. Like you can effectively like replicate a production environment to a large extent, uh, so that you know like once it gets you once you get something working locally, uh, then you can get it working in production. This is like a very core thing about modal too. It's like basically like our approach to this is like let's just always run things in production because with data teams it's actually easier. Or, like you just like basically like turn the production environment into the like test environment. Obviously you shouldn't like reinvent the wheel. Like you should use vendors for almost everything you can. You know which today is like. That's the art of software engineering. Like, you know, like software engineering in like the 80s, you have to build everything yourself in assembly, whatever. But like today, there's just so many products out there. And like, you know, why sort of build something that like a vendor is effectively sold for you, right? Like, and that's actually being part of like being a CTO today, vendor selection and like picking things and like saying, no, we're actually not going to do this. We're just going to buy this product instead. Do
0: you have a certain framework that you use for deciding whether to buy or build?
1: I think the rule of thumb is like, is this a core competency or is this like secret sauce of the company? Is this something that brings this competitive advantage? And if it's not, if you're like, uh, I, I don't know, like dealing with billing or, de- you know, or, or dealing with payments or invoices or whatever, like, is that a core competency for most companies? Like, no, like they should just use Stripe or whatever. That's like sort of one rule of them. I think modern repo is like today, like the way to go, like not having like a lot of small repos, but like having like one big repository with all the code, like Google does that, Facebook does it. Like you can do it at scale. It's a little bit annoying, for some stuff, but it actually makes your factoring a lot easier. And I think in, like, similar terms, like, I think not sort of prematurely building for scale, not, like, sort of prematurely, like, breaking things up in a lot of, like, microservices. Like, I, I think there's a lot of urge for a lot of companies to, like, split things up, like, you know, subformize things too early, you know, like, like but, but I think you kind of have to hold back. I, th- I think you need a it's fine sometimes to, like, keep things a little bit monolithic, you know, have, like, one big code base for everything. Over time, you're going to, you know, start seeing things that emerge, you can sort of, you know, refactor out. But generally I I I think people should lean on the side of like waiting with those things as much as possible.
0: I think nowadays, given everything happening with AI, when most people think about developer productivity, they think of copilot and code generation, which seems to have dramatically on average reduced the amount of time required to build things. I'm curious to know though, I mentioned maybe something that is occurring in an average way. Like how are you seeing it used at modal or know, among the people that you know, what are the different types of outcomes that people have from using LLMs and CodeGen?
1: At Modal, we don't use it that much. Some of the engineers use it. Like, I I don't know, like, I'm just, like, old. So, like, I, I've, like, struggled with, like, new tools, but, like, I don't use it at all. But I think some people like it internally. I tend to think, yeah, like, it's probably going to make, like, developers, like, I don't know, 10, 20, 30% more productive. To me, that's, like, you know, like, if you look at, like, engineers last 20 years or 30 years or whatever, like, they've already gotten, like, a 100x more productive. So. To me, this is like, yeah, it's great. Like it's another tool. Add that to the, like the toolbox of tools we already have. But to me, that's like, you know, like the next set in that like toolbox that will make engineers more productive. But I think the long arc of like software engineering, you know, over the last since we started doing it in the 70s has always been like we keep getting more and more productive every year, right? Like through new tools. And 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 these things like kind of multiply, which is like amazing. Like you, you kind of get like exponentially more productive every year, like developers. At the same time, by the way, as as there's actually more developers in the world, which is kind of crazy, right? Like, so I I I expect that trend to continue. Like, I think the developers are going to get more productive. That's going to mean it's cheaper to build software. That's going to mean the demand for software engineers goes up. That's going to mean there's going to be more developers in the world. That's my sort of optimistic thesis about software engineering.
0: Really interesting that you see LLMs as a nice, but maybe only incremental improvement to developer productivity along the lines of, you know, the way other tools have impacted it. I wonder also if you think there might be a risk to developer productivity from LLMs, because auto, what's essentially autocomplete can actually, in my experience, not as a coder, but as like a writer and a thinker, can prevent you from thinking deeply about the problem that you're trying to solve. Like if I went to copywriting AI and I inputted, you know, here's the blog post that I want to write. And particularly if I wanted a deep thinking blog post, which like when I write my own blog posts, I try to make them like really deep thinking. Editing something that's already been created for me, I think prevents me from thinking from first principles about what I actually want to say and like getting to the root of what is the idea in my head? What am I trying to say? And therefore the output is just not as Good. And as a result, ROI on the time that I spent writing that blog post is not good. It, and it might have been a lot better if I just like started from scratch and taken, you know, a couple extra hours. So what do you think about like autocomplete as a potential hindrance to people being productive?
1: Leave me, your like personal experience is like something that you'll just, you know, learn over time, right? Like whatever makes you most productive is like whatever workflow you'll probably adapt. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I think there's always like, when there's like new technology, there's like fears, right? And like, you know, we're going to adopt in the wrong ways. And I don't know. Like, I remember when the internet came and like, you know, people are like, well, like, you know, people are going to stop thinking for themselves. They're just going to look up everything online, which is kind of true. But some it's people, true. I,
0: like my mem, I used to have a far better memory than I do, but now I almost right. have lost the ability or interest in memorizing because I can just Google anything
1: yeah and, and and like i i think there's probably like you know a risk you know like i think everyone has like an old uncle or whatever is like just only reading stuff online and thinks it's all true and <laughs> like whatever but like i don't know like i think the younger generation i think like most people learn that like yeah like you sort of it's like a bicycle like it sort of helps you you know it helps your brain move faster right like using the sort of internet as a tool like you can you can be more productive you can you can know things i don't know like necessarily like you know in the long run like i still think these is like these are all like good things just like short-term risks or like there's like wrong ways to use every new technology but in, in the long run like we'll learn how to leverage those to, for our productivity
0: so eric i'm thinking about you as a former engineering leader advising other leaders on best practices for maximizing developer productivity so maybe we can start with what are the most common mistakes that you think ctos make in trying to maximize productivity
1: a lot of different things and, and kind of like i mentioned before like Productivity is like one of those things that sort of adds up on a logarithmic scale. So if you do like 10 things right, like it's sort of, you get 20%, like 1.2 to the power of 10, uh, which is pretty substantial. People are sometimes, I think, like very paranoid about bugs. Like I mentioned on my like commitment to like CICD, like one of the things I've learned is like fear of bugs actually as a paradox sometimes actually makes bugs more likely and actually ruins developer productivity because people are so afraid to like do something like continuous deployment or deploy to production very quickly or break things up in small incremental thing that gets merged. You know, they impose a lot of task overhead. They want to have a lot of processes. They want every code to be reviewed by three people or whatever. And that's just, in the long run, like actually not really, I'm not really sure that actually does prevent bugs. In fact, I think like having a commitment to like, no, let's merge things quickly. Let's get it out in front of production, in production, in front of users. And occasionally there going got to be bugs. But when those bugs happen, we learn from those bugs and prevent the, the, the future similar class of bugs that ends up not just having you know improving the quality overall but also like vastly improves the developer productivity because like now you can just iterate much quicker with a higher confidence and assurance that we have all these automated testing and all this monitoring and all this alerting you know that if something breaks we actually don't have to rely on a human to look at the code to find it like we can actually rely on all these systems that are automated So I think that's like the most important thing. Committing to CI/CD like early on and just like building all the test furnaces and all the automated testing that's required to to the quality high. You know, like a slightly bigger scale. Like one thing I see a lot is like companies are very like nervous about platformizing or or not nervous about it. They tend to do it prematurely. Like they they look at all these different teams and they see like, oh, these teams have like the same concerns. Like we should break it out into like a platform. You know, it comes from a good place, but doing it too early, I think very dangerous because now you're sort of, you know, introducing dependencies between a lot of different teams and you're like creating this new team that's not actually incentivized to work on user features. And so to a large extent, I think up to like at least a hundred people, I think it's actually better to only have fully vertical teams, right? like vertical teams that only focus on specific user problems and a very little like internal platform teams. And it obviously depends on what product you're building. If you're like a deep like technical infrastructure company, that might look different than if you're building an e-commerce product. As much as possible, like having teams focused on like vertical features of is very important. I think too much planning, frankly. Software is like inherently like very embracing uncertainty. And like, like it's almost like research, right? Like and it's almost like by definition, that is true. Because if it wasn't uncertain, then a big company would do that. So if you look at like what a startup does, by, by sort of virtue of being a startup, like it means like you're building something that other people think is impossible, which means like there's a lot of uncertainty, which means like you can't really plan up front. You have to be a little bit exploratory, and, and you're going to start working on something, and then you're going to realize that's actually not a really good approach. Let's actually abandon this, this direction, and like let's go in the other direction. And I think a lot of companies they want to have more control, they want to have like more visible roadmaps, they want to have longer commitment. We're going to put five people on this project; it's going to take X months. Ironically, like trying to have all this control over like what everyone's doing means you're you're, you're actually like choosing not to do the big uncertain stuff which is often much higher value. So I I think, you know, it's more important to sort of embrace that uncertainty and like have a planning process that's very nimble, that's very adaptive. I'm very biased towards startup, by the way. I realize like when I talk about these things, I'm a startup degenerate. I've worked like 20 years at startups. And some of this like may not translate directly to like very large companies, but when you're building the startups, like it's so important to embrace this uncertainty and just like plan for it or not plan for it.
0: I love that framing. Let's talk about... Different size companies then, sort of segueing from that last comment you made about startups in particular. In general, I find that there are three stages of a startup. There's early on when you're searching for product market fit. Then there's building repeatable go to market motion. Then there's scaling that repeatable playbook. I didn't come up with these three stages. I think a lot of folks have talked about them. I'm wondering if you see different tactics for driving developer productivity at, in each of those stages.
1: It's actually quite different. In fact, I think sometimes it's like opposing forces. Like what's actually good at one stage is actually really bad at another stage and vice versa. I think at the very early stages, like you should have almost like zero planning and you should just hire a bunch of people who have like deep commitment and deep understanding of what the company is trying to do. And then almost like just like lean back and let them like self organize. If you find the right team. At a stage of ten, like they can like deeply internalize what the company needs to do. You can tell them the big priorities. This is like a little aspirational and like maybe naive. Some people may think, but what I found is like you can get pretty close to this naive ideal of letting people self-organize if you hire the right people. Like people who have you know very entrepreneurial, very commercial. And I think at this stage also it's like very important you lay the foundation. Like commit to CI/CD, for instance. I think it's like something that's very important to do early on. Commit to like incremental changes commit to having the right production stack that you know makes it easy to like move fast with like a reasonable level of confidence obviously once you get a little bit bigger like it sort of changes once you start having 15 20 engineers you need to start having teams you can't have everyone does everything at some point you can have like one big team up to maybe 15 engineers but then you need to start having teams and that starts to make things a lot harder because like now people in each team like they don't necessarily understand the whole picture anymore because you're you're basically telling them like you work in this team you focus on this and you work in this team and you focus on this, and, and that starts to be armor. That being said, like it's still so sort of the same principles apply. Like you have to be very like careful about like introducing process overhead at this stage. The urge is to like let's put in like a task tracker, which is like maybe good, but let's not like necessarily take this like task tracker thing to an extreme and have like everything has to be documented, everything has to go into a centralized backlog every three weeks, we prioritize everything. Those are things that actually like I think destroy developer productivity. Developers should still. At this stage we're talking like 20 engineers still have the ability to oh like i have thought of this thing it's a quick fix it's going to take me five minutes you want to have the absolute minimum amount of process for someone to do something that's obviously good for the product Like you just have this like oh i know there's like one-liner bug. i'm just going to fix it that should take them like two minutes so i think you're to hold back you have to resist your urges and not introduce too much process once i start hitting like 100 engineers that's where things get very different all these things, not platformizing, not specializing, all those things are actually now like, should probably start to think about that. You should start to think about building internal platforms, hiring specialized people, having a little bit more like a process for like, you know, planning, being more data driven and having more like KPIs and OKRs. And so a lot of these things actually end up shifting, I think, when you raise... I know it's like the bar number of like 150 or whatever, but around that limit, like uh, that's what I found. That's when you actually like, you need to start thinking about it. You still need to hold back, I think a little bit and like resist a lot of these onerous, complex process management tools. But you do definitely need to like start to think about it. clearly like there's like four teams that have the same concern. Let's actually take it out of those teams, create a new team that serve all those four teams. So those are the types of things you need to think about at that scale.
0: Eric, you're an awesome podcast guest because you've come with all these frameworks that you've clearly been thinking about for so long. This was awesome. I'd love to just pick your brain on hiring. You know, how do you hire to ensure that your teams are productive?
1: That's always the same at almost every stage up to like maybe at least like a hundred, like a few hundred people. Always, always want people who are like very scrappy, very commercial and create a culture of like curiosity of people understanding what's needed. When you look at like ICs and developers, that's probably always true. That being said, I think at startups, like at the early stage, you probably want to bias more towards generalists. You want people who know a little bit about everything. As you sort of get more and more mature, you can sort of specialize a little bit more. To the point where like, I, I think early on, you shouldn't even have like front end, back end people. You should have this like full stack people. But once you start getting like 15, 20 people, they could have a little bit of specialized people. Maybe you can hire a you know, front engineer. Maybe you can have a mobile engineer. You can start to split things up a little bit.
0: How do you get a sense of whether an engineer that you're interviewing is likely to be productive individually?
1: That's an incredibly hard assessment problem and something I can talk about for hours. Interviewing is like inherently like a very sort of noisy assessment problem of we're going to spend three hours together. You know, I'm going to try to like predict whether you're going to be successful at this company in the future or not. That's just near impossible to do well. I think it's more of an empirical science, frankly. You focus on people who... First of all, have like a base level of technical competency. I think that's very important not to skip. You need to make sure they're generalists and they can write code in different languages and they can read code and they sort of understand like basic system design. But you also want to like understand like people's projects that they worked on in the past. What's the most complicated thing you ever built? Tell me about it. What did you actually do versus what did your team do? Who came up with the idea? Was it you? Was it someone else? Like I I like to dig into those things and try to understand. Does this person care about like building things? Like have they come up with their own ideas? Like have they made significant contributions in the past? And there's so many questions like that. You can sort of dig in and figure out who actually is willing to roll up their sleeves and crank out code and, and build amazing stuff.
0: Eric, you've obviously thought a ton about how to make developers more productive. You're building a product for data teams now, and I'm sure that you're thinking through how to apply these best practices for data teams too, to make them more productive. How are you translating those best practices using your product?
1: The reason I ended up working on Model is that I started thinking about how do we make data teams more productive? Model is like, it's a very like infrastructural product. But the reason I started working in that part of the stack is actually I started looking at like data teams, which I have managed a lot of data teams. I've worked on a lot of different parts of the stack. And data teams, especially like versus like other types of software engineering teams, have been a little bit behind in terms of like having the right tools, like having the right workflows. You look at, like, you know, front engineers, like, they have, like, amazing tools these days. You pull up the code on one monitor and, like, pull up the website on another monitor. You have all this, like, hot reload, like, whatever. Like, you can move, like, you can iterate, like, very quickly if you're a front engineer. And and now they're starting to have their own, like, tools for sale and, like, you know, specialized vendors that focus on front engineering. And I I think you could say the same thing about backend engineering. Data teams have been a little bit behind. When you look at, like, how data teams operate, there's been a lot of friction. I think they've been held back in terms of, like, the value that they deliver. They have a lot of ideas. But it's hard to get things in production. It's hard to iterate. So I actually started thinking about that problem three, four years ago. I realized the biggest problem to solve if you look at that entire stack is on the infrastructure level. And in particular, it's about getting code in production and dealing with a lot of the idiosyncrasies of data teams that they're dealing with. Like they often need to use like specialized hardware like GPUs. They basically have to run things in production at all times because like in production is kind of where the data is. They're dealing with all like weird sort of academic code often, like especially with like AI, you know, there's so many different like environment installation problems. So you have to like kind of embrace containerization. But on the other hand, like data teams don't really like using Docker for various reasons. You have to deal with like kind of large, like fan out running things like a very large scale, you know, for brief periods. So you have this like very burst. Kubernetes isn't quite right for data teams. Like Docker isn't quite right. And I started thinking about like, what can I build that's better than all these things for data teams? Data teams just want to take code that they have on their local computer and like run it in the cloud. And I started building like, how do I make that, you know, as fast as possible? Like, how do I make that feel like you're writing code locally? How do you make this feedback look super tight? And that actually turns out to be this whole like very deeply hard technical problem. Like, because you need to like, think about like, well, you need to take code and like put it in a container and launch it in the cloud pretty quickly. So we started building that. and. You know, I had to go very deep in the sort of rabbit hole of Linux and file system and page caching and containers and and whatnot and build something that now I think enables people work data and AI to iterate very quickly, to ship value very quickly, get things out of production very quickly. And now we're sort of, you know, slowly starting to think about how do we build the rest of this product? We sort of laid the like infrastructure layer. How do we build the rest of the things to truly make a whole toolbox platform for data teams to be as productive as other types of software engineers?
0: Eric, one final question. Any last tips for engineering leaders trying to try and maximize productivity in their teams?
1: If you don't do continuous deployment, you should absolutely do it. It's a little bit scary at first, but I think just like committing to it and like kind of thinking through all the ramifications, better test suites, easier to test things in isolation, more alerting, more monitoring, easier to roll back, easier to make incremental changes. Once you sort of think through all the things that are needed for CD continuous deployment and commit to all those things. That's by far the biggest thing for developer productivity in most companies.
0: Eric, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much. It was great.